I'm Jason Lewis. And I'm Todd Deshida. Welcome to Climate Optimus. As a couple concerned citizens, we're on a journey to explore climate solutions and ways each of us can make a difference. As a reminder to our listeners, in honor of our one-year anniversary as a podcast, we are giving away a virtual home energy audit to one lucky listener. To enter the drawing, head over to our website and send us a note. Just include your first name and tell us that you'd like to be entered into the drawing. And I think last week I said we're going to pull the name on the 9th, but we're pulling the name on the 19th. That's September 19th. So you have a few weeks to get it done. Head over to the website, submit a comment with your name, and tell us you'd like to be entered into the drawing. So it's hard to really overstate the value that our forests provide. We get everything from clean water to flood prevention to housing, you know, really much of the world's biodiversity. And in addition to all those things, forests also, you know, breathe in and store billions of tons of carbon dioxide each year. And, you know, in a world where we're desperately need to reduce the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, forests have a potential to play a critical role in solving the climate crisis. So today, we're going to geek out on trees and their role in helping us fight climate change with an expert from the World Wildlife Fund. And speaking of forests, have you uh, had a chance to get out and spend any time in them this year? I am one with the forest. No, uh, <laughs> I I have a little bit. I mean, I would I would like to a lot more than I have. Although, speaking of tr- big trees, I just recently, when we were at the coast, we were at Cape Mears, and it has the largest Sitka spruce out there in Oregon. And we hiked in like a quarter mile or whatever and saw it. It was bigger than I thought it was going to be. And pictures can't really, you know how pictures can't really do it justice because no. you can't really see scale. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like 144 feet tall, like 50 feet in circumference. Um, it's massive. Yeah. It's like, might be 800 years old. Um, Whoa. That's yeah, crazy. it's a cool, it's a cool tree. It was really cool. They have a, they have something else out there called the octopus tree. And they don't really know why it grew that way, but it has just like, and I thought, oh, it's going to be this little tree with just like these little limbs out of it, you know, that are all kind of going in different directions, but it's massive too. So yeah, this, this episode reminded me of those two big trees and those tree spirits, the ants <laughs> for the Lord of the Rings fans. Well, California is the reason for this week's reason for hope. They are kicking off a project to cover some of their, you know, agricultural canals with solar mm. panels. And it's modeled after some projects that have been done in Gujarat, India, where they've done this. And the goal is is really twofold. I mean, you, you know, in a warming world, you get to save water because you're helping limit the amount of evaporation and, you know, obviously producing renewable energy at the same time. The initial project that they're doing is fairly modest. They're, you know, looking at covering roughly a mile of canal with, with solar okay. panels. But the intent is for this really to be a pilot because California as a state has almost 4,000 miles of canals. Right. And so there was a study that was done, and I think this in some ways precipitated this pilot project, but they're, they said if they were to cover all the canals, which obviously 4,000 miles is a lot of canal, it would yeah. produce enough clean energy to meet about half of the state's goal there and save enough water to irrigate roughly 50,000 acres. So. Whoa. It, so we're talking real savings here. You know, you start 
putting down miles of solar panels. That's just from the evaporation, huh? Just the... Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. They're in dire straits when it comes to water, really. Uh, yeah, I think they're worst drought in, in over a thousand years. So... Yeah. Well, that'd be Not awesome. good. Yeah. That'd be cool if they get that going. Indeed. So our guest this week to help us get smart on the power of forests to fight climate change is Carrie Cesario, Senior Vice President for Forests at the World Wildlife Fund. Carrie leads a portfolio of strategic initiatives to help conserve the world's most important forests, initiatives that focus on everything from halting illegal logging to addressing threats from agricultural expansion to investing in forests as a tool to mitigate climate change. Carrie holds a bachelor's degree in biology and a master's in environmental management. And we're super excited to have her on the pod today. Well, Carrie, welcome to Climate Optimist. Thanks for having me. So we'll start you out with a, a basic question. When you think about efforts to address climate change, what makes you hopeful? Okay, this is going to sound a little corny and maybe uh, unex- maybe expected coming from someone who leads forest conservation, but <laughs> trees make trees make me hopeful, and I mean that in the serious sense that you know trees are one of the best available technologies we have to address climate change, and we are, we already have them. We don't need to build them. We don't need to, you know, they're there. They're doing their job. They store and absorb carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And if we protect them, uh, if we take care of them, they'll take care of us. Now, obviously, we need to first and foremost uh, cut fossil fuel emissions. There's, there's no getting out of that. But forests are a really critical part of the solution to achieving the Paris Agreement. And it's been exciting for me to see that it's not just me, someone who works on forest conservation for their day job, uh, that has realized that there's a, there's a growing realization of the importance of conserving forests and nature. We're seeing that uh, from everything from, you know, at at the most recent climate cop to mainstream media, it feels a little bit like forests and trees are having a bit of a moment. And so (laughs) that, that's really exciting for me. And, you know, just like at a basic level, like you, you, I'm sitting in my home office right now and I'm looking at trees and it's hard not to feel hopeful when you're looking at a tree. I mean, here you have something that's so impossibly huge and solid that came from a tiny little seed and you just feel like trees are very determined and they don't give up and so we shouldn't either and i think that is a source of uh of a sort of daily inspiration for me i like it I, and i i confess that i too really get inspired by the trees so i'm, I'm in your camp <laughs> um well i'm going to talk about obviously deforestation reforestation etc how did you get into working in, in forests? Yeah, well, I was always interested in science and the natural world, like how things work, being outdoors. And then I did spend several months after college literally hugging trees. So I was part, <laughs> of, I was part of helping to conduct research in North Carolina and we had to measure the diameter of oh, yeah. lots of trees. And so I was literally hugging trees. Uh, but I think the real turning point for me was I did have this opportunity to spend time in the, you know, the magnificent forests of the Pacific Northwest uh, in a place called Clackwood Sound on Vancouver Island in British Columbia, um, working with First Nations and forest companies and communities and really trying to figure out 
you know, how do we save these beautiful places and um, deliver all the benefits that come from forests? And that just had a really life-changing impact on me. Well, that's sort of a nice lead in. I mean, the forests of BC are, are hard to beat, but when, you know, when we're talking about the world's forests, where are sort of the most critical when we're talking about like sequestering carbon and, and why are those forests? I mean, people are familiar with the Amazon, but like, where are these big forests that are so critical to protect? Yeah. I mean, as much as I do love the coastal temperate rainforests of British Columbia, the reality is that uh, tropical rainforests are by far the most important ecosystems for mitigating climate change. They collectively sequester more carbon from the atmosphere than other forest types. And they're also being increasingly destroyed for things like agricultural expansion. So they're super important and they're being lost. And so when we consider what, I mean, you mentioned the Amazon, and that is one of the three largest tropical rainforests in the world. There's also uh, the Congo Basin and the remaining tropical rainforests in Southeast Asia. And each of those is sort of on a little bit of a different pathway in terms of how much has been lost and that affects their ability to absorb, like whether they are a carbon, uh, net carbon sink or source. So unfortunately in Southeast Asia over the past 20 years, uh, we've lost so much forest that it has now flipped to being a net source of carbon emissions uh, due to forest being cleared for plantations, things uh, for things like pulp and palm oil and rubber and the fires that have ensued from some of that forest clearance. In the Amazon, we are nearing a tipping point, uh, but uh, not quite there yet in terms of it becoming a net source of greenhouse gas, gas emissions. And then, so of the three largest tropical rainforests in the world, it's really only the Congo Basin that has enough standing forest to remain a strong net carbon sink. Now, that isn't to say uh, we should give up hope. In fact, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity and still um, a lot of reason to protect those forests. Uh, but those are among the regions of the world with really important forests. And I also just say that, you know, it's protecting remaining standing forests is important and particularly primary or what we might call mature secondary forests, because those forests have a lot more potential in terms of the carbon stored and uh, the amount of carbon that they sequester versus if you looked at a forest that was only planted in the last 20 years. So for, for us in the Northern Hemisphere, it would be like our more of our old growth forests as opposed exactly. to a yes, forest exactly. that, you know, is maybe 20, 30 years old, but the trees are still relatively small and, you know, don't have that surface area and aren't, you know, as a result, pulling in as much, as much carbon. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we certainly, I mean, we, it's important to give these young forests a chance to grow as well into old ones, but the carbon that's released into the atmosphere from these sort of like eons of carbon released when we clear forests that are, you know, hundreds, in some cases, thousands of years old. Wow. So I know some folks are probably, you know, versed on the fact that, that, you know, trees obviously store carbon above ground and what's visible, but there's a vast amount of storage that occurs uh, underground as well. Can you give us a sense, I mean, as we're talking about tropical forests, for instance, roughly how much of the carbon is stored underground versus kind of above ground? Like what do we see versus what's, you know, out of sight? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think there's some recent uh, research that showed that it didn't break it down into above and below ground per se, but looked at uh, about, it's like 45% of forest carbon stock is in the living biomass. So that would be 
you know, the trunk and the leaves, but it also includes the roots, which, you know, are, are sort of out of sight. Uh, and then 45% is in the soil organic matter. So other uh, parts of the forest that are, you know, other living parts of, of soil, and then 10% in, in even just the dead downed branches what would be considered like dead wood and litter. Um, but I think what you, I mean, the point you're, you're getting at is that there are particular forests in the world that um, are on peat soils in particular that store uh, a vast amount of carbon and that are very much at risk when the forests are cleared to releasing that carbon into the atmosphere. And so um, we have to really think about forests as a whole system, right? It's not just the removal of the trees. So in a sense, it's like you've got these these different kind of buckets of carbon. You've got the, you know, the trunk, let's say, which, you know, if it's cut in theory, as long as it's not decomposing, there's still carbon stored there. But once you do that, the tree is no longer sequestering carbon. So maybe that's kind of another bucket. It's no longer doing its job. And then it sounds like the third is really like all the stuff that's gone on underground that if as soon as you're disturbing that soil, um, it's releasing a lot of that, you know, back up. Into yeah, the it's it's underground. It's also sort of the the damage to the surrounding area, right? So if you were just say you're removing even just one tree, you may be, you know, there's vines that are maybe attached to that tree or other plants. And so there's this collateral damage that happens when we're removing trees. So let's, let's talk about the upside then. So, you know, obviously trees are powerful instruments in storing carbon and doing a host of other things as well. Um, if we were to focus our efforts on, you know, things like reforestation and, and conservation, what, what's sort of the additional potential in terms of our forest being able to, to store carbon? Yeah, that's a great question. So the, there's actually some recent research on this that found that there was nearly 300 billion metric tons of unrealized potential storage opportunity in forests. So that's wow. significant. And what was noteworthy about that is it's like three quarters of that is actually linked to managing our forests better. So I think we've spent a lot of time focusing on, and it is, it's, it's really important, as I was saying, we've got to keep forests standing, you know, particularly these older, mature forests. There's a lot of attention on restoration and on tree planting, but there's this piece of managing our forests well that is really critical. So we have to do all three of these things, right? So conservation, restoration, and improved management, they're all part of the pathway to achieving a world in which we limit temperature rise to 1.5 degrees. I think, you know, knowing kind of where the opportunities are, we have to be smart about what we invest in. There's, there's a hierarchy of action here. So to put this in context, you know, if you have an, a hectare of tropical rainforest on an annual basis, if you conserve that, you're, you're saving, you're preventing the release of hundred metric tons of carbon from that hectare. So it's like, Halting loss on a tropical on tropical forests avoids the uh, release of 100 metric tons of carbon per hectare per year. If you restore, if you attempt to restore tropical forests, you you have opportunity to sequester three metric tons of carbon per hectare per year versus avoiding the release of 100 metric tons of carbon wow. per year per hectare. So we first and foremost always want to you know, stop the bleeding, right? Like we got to keep right. the, keep the trees in the ground, keep the carbon in the ground. It's a lot harder to put forests back. Definitely want to prioritize protection. And then we have this data showing us of the potential for uh, sequestration and absorbing carbon 
from just managing our forests better. Even if we're logging, there are ways to do that selectively that limit the damage that we were just talking about, you know, where uh, you might have narrower roads or you trim the vines before you cut the tree. I mean, there's all these practices that can be deployed uh, to ensure that when we are managing forests and deriving responsible products from them, you know, ideally certified under, you know, a recognized third-party certification system for a stewardship council uh, is one of those outfits that helps to ensure responsible management is, is taking place. So we want to make sure we're managing responsibly. But then we also do need to restore. I mean, the what the models are showing us is that in order to get to 1.5, that 1.5 degree target, we need to restore 678 million hectares of forest. So wow. even though you know, in, in theory, you know, it's like first we protect and then we manage, you know, these forests and then, you know, we restore. The reality is, given the urgency and the timeline we're on, we need to do these things simultaneously, but we can't trade off one for the other. Like we can't, we're not going to plant our way out of the crisis, but we do also need to be uh, restoring forests. You know, it's a vicious cycle where if you lose forests, you lose the capacity to absorb more carbon, but we can flip that to a you know, from a vir- like a vicious cycle to a, a virtuous cycle, because the more forests that we protect, the better job we do of managing them. We reduce fire risk. We increase and enhance the capacity of forests to absorb carbon. And then there are all these benefits uh, that accrue in addition uh, you know, to the climate mitigation benefit. I mean, forests themselves are actually protecting people from extreme weather. Uh, obviously, you know, it's well known the role they play in delivering clean water, fresh air. So it, we can invest in forests, um, you know, to, to sort of save ourselves from climate. But, you know, in doing so, we get so much more uh, in the process. So I think that's, you know, that's part of that virtuous circle that we, you know, we can flip into and, and I think is a source of optimism. So I'm I'm realizing I got excited. We started talking about trees and I forgot to ask you, you know, I think everybody inherently knows that deforestation is problematic uh, for, for climate change and a host of other things. But what percentage is deforestation at this point kind of contributing to climate change? So, you know, those mature forests that you're talking about being being taken down. Yeah, I mean, it's significant. I think the destruction of forests and, you know, their ecosystems together with their unsustainable use is the second largest source of greenhouse gas emissions after the burning of fossil fuels. So it's, you know, it's really high on that list. And we know that addressing deforestation, as I said, is sort of fundamental to getting on that pathway. And it's actually the action with the largest potential to mitigate greenhouse gas uh, emissions when it comes to the land sector. So, so we know we need to be on that path, that trajectory, but unfortunately we're going in the wrong direction. So just last year, the tropics lost over uh, 27 a million acres of tree cover globally. And in just the first six months of 2022, the Amazon experienced the highest deforestation we've seen since 2016. <laughs> the problem is, you know, when we're losing those forests, we're losing the potential to absorb carbon as well. And um, so, so annually forests absorb 1.5 times more carbon than the United States emits annually. So with each acre we lose, we lose the capacity to to absorb carbon in that way. So that's that's kind of the trajectory we're on. So not a great place, but I guess if you know, being the eternal optimist, if we if we halt that, um, huge potential there. 
That's right. So, we have the tools to do it. Well, yeah. And so, and I guess that's a great segue, you know, when we're talking about solutions to all of this, um, what kind of, you know, policy mechanisms or other tools do we have at our disposal to, to sort of halt that deforestation that's occurring and to, you know, encourage this restoration of, of forest land that we need to do? Yeah, generally speaking, we need government leadership that is backed by funding, effective policies, diplomatic engagement, and we want that aimed at protecting and restoring forests, you know, as we've talked about, eliminating commodity-driven deforestation because that is a big driver of forest loss and governments do have an ability to regulate trade and engage uh, on the role of, of commodities. We need to halt bad actors from illegally clearing land. So there, that's another place within which governments have a role to play in enacting and enforcing laws around land use planning, what areas should or should not be cleared for agriculture and other uses. And also there's a role for government to play in promoting sustainable livelihoods and you know, recognition of the rights of indigenous peoples and local communities who have been stewards of this land. And really there's no solutions, I think, to many of these problems that aren't working with and you know, through the leadership of, of the people who live in and around forests. So those are sort of the roles uh, that we see governments playing. And fortunately, there's a growing recognition of that. And we have countries uh, inserting forests into the targets they're setting under the Paris Agreement. So saying, yes, we need to do the right things in the forest sector in order to achieve our goals. Here in the US, uh, we've seen some recent uh, action both by the Biden administration and by Congress. There's been an executive order by President Biden relating to deforestation. We recently had the Senate pass the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, which includes provisions around forests. And there's um, some really exciting legislation being considered, something called the Forest Act, uh, which is an acronym for um, it's Fostering Overseas Rule of Law and Environmentally Sound Trade. And that would make it illegal to import commodities from illegal deforestation into the U.S., and so that's a piece of legislation that's been introduced. So progress being made on that front, but given the scale and the speed at which we need to move, companies have a role to play too. And so I think voluntary corporate action uh, we see as being paired with government action is going to be key. And you know, that's something that we're really keen to work with companies on to help them reduce their footprints on forests and make sure that they're investing in and contributing to conservation, improved management, and restoration of forests. So that could be like a, a giant, let's say, food conglomerate that, you know, uses palm oil in a, a bunch of their products and figuring out how to do that in a sustainable way or p- perhaps finding other sources of oil instead of palm oil, those those kind of things? Yeah, exactly. So we have a, a platform called Forest Forward through which we're working with companies that uh, touch on forests. And uh, last year, we announced a new partnership actually with HP uh, linked to their commitment, their existing commitment around forest conservation, uh, in which they're going to invest uh, $80 million in restoration, improved management and conservation of critical forest areas around the world. And the area will be commensurate with uh, the paper use that runs through all their printers on an annual basis over the next 10 years. And so that's the that's great. You know, kind of scale of the commitment we're talking about is to say, do I understand what my fair share, what my contribution is in the ways that you know companies are setting science-based targets around climate? Similarly, 
looking at that through the nature lens and saying what, you know, what needs to happen and then how do we uh, each do our part to contribute to that. So there's a lot of potential there and I feel like it's only through the combination of private sector, governments, and then working, you know, hand in hand with communities on the ground that there's a real need for kind of a bottom-up, top-down aspect of this coming together where we need to leverage the policy frameworks, the finance, uh, but really um, understand the context of you know, what, what, is, what is causing forest loss, how do we change that? And then to the extent that we, there are, where good things are happening and forests are being conserved, how do we ensure the benefits of that flow to the communities and the stewards of those places? Right. How do you incentivize the, the good behavior and, and reward those folks for, for doing the right thing? Yeah, exactly. So, Carrie, I would love to keep talking about forests, um, but want to always leave people with an opportunity to, to get engaged. If you were to kind of summarize, you've talked about them a little already. What can we as individuals do to help drive you know, conservation and reforestation efforts globally? Yeah, I mean, I, I think as I was you know, kind of enumerating the number of actions that are being taken even within the U.S. as of late on climate and related to forests, I think it really drives home the point that voting matters, right? Like it really matters to get out there and vote. Like democracy is fundamentally important for solving what are global problems, what are really complicated problems. That is a really meaningful action. And then actively telling our public officials, we expect policies that prioritize forest health climate solutions. I mean, we have this opportunity with this Forest Act. You can reach out to your representatives, express support for it, and then being mindful about the choices we make as consumers. There's a lot of opportunities to essentially vote with your dollar. And and also thinking about, so the choices we make in purchasing, but also even before that, you know, thinking about, is it possible to reuse or repurpose or you know, do right. you need something, right? Um, it's been really interesting to me since it's growing options for purchasing used furniture, housewares, or getting them for free from your community. And, you know, just if we're all doing those things, it does send signals. It does reinforce the behaviors and the actions that we want to see. And then the final thing I would say in that space of sort of choices is that, you know, agriculture uh, and the expansion of agriculture for food production is the single largest driver of forest loss globally. And, you know, we should be mindful and and really want to care and learn more about where our food comes from, how it was produced, and also not waste it. 40% of the food that's produced in the world um, is is wasted, is is one of the estimates. And that directly contributes to greenhouse gas emissions, because that could be land that was cleared to produce food that was never even eaten. And if we, you know, can think about, you know, how to, you know, store, you know, only buying what you need, store food properly, thinking about portion size, freezing your leftovers, composting. I mean, these are all things that I don't know if people think about are forest-friendly actions, um, but they are part of the solution and they're all things that are within our reach. So I would just, um, you know, encourage first that, and then also get out in the forest and, and oh, be inspired. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think getting out there and, and just being able to appreciate the the beauty of, of the forest helps remind us the need to, you know, integrate changes into our daily behavior that help preserve them. So, well, 
thanks, Carrie, so much for coming on and, and sharing your knowledge. It's definitely a complicated topic, but uh, I think a really critical one. And so, yeah, thanks for coming on and, and being our guest. Thanks so much for having me. It was great to chat. So, Todd, what did you uh, what did you think of the interview with Carrie? You learned anything new about uh, the power of force? I did. I liked the quote, trees are determined and they don't give up. I like that. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, they're ants, man. They're coming alive, walking around. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, it does seem like it's a big lift, you know, and I hear numbers like we need to, you know, reforest 678 million hectares. It just seems like a real daunting task, but but also hits home the importance. Um, and I should have known. You know, maybe it caught me off guard, but to hear, you know, that deforestation is, you know, the second largest contributor to climate change, you know, after after the burning of fossil fuels. And I, I think I remembered that, but sometimes you forget these things and then you hear them again and you're just kind of like, whoa, I thought it was uh, really informative. What about you? What, what were your what were your takeaways? I think similarly, I was I was reminded of, you know, the importance of forests and I immediately found myself you know, thinking back to, you know, the episodes we've done about meat and its and its mm. impact on deforestation, yeah. the linkage there, you know, the reality is it it produces only about 17% of our food and yet it takes up about 77% of ag land. And yeah. that that one stat to me just kind of says it all, right? We if we want to in the long run give our forests a fighting chance the biggest thing we can do is, you know, consider what we're putting on our table. And, mm -hmm. and again, it's not to say that folks need to give up meat, but, you know, eating more plants, focusing on eating more plants and incorporating it to me just feels like a key in all of this. Yeah. It kind of gets back, especially I think, well, in the case of Brazil, probably the beef, right. Which is, which is huge and kind of double, you know, it has a kind of a double fold effect with the methane and then you have the deforestation and you're just kind of, you're kind of getting it at both sides. You're dead on there, I think. Yeah, and then you know the other thing that kind of amazed me. I I, I knew that tropical forests were important. You know, we think of talking about forests here. You know, the coastal forests in the on the western half of the U.S. are are pretty amazing at pulling carbon out of the atmosphere. And yet, tropical rainforests have about five times the storage capacity of a coastal temperate rainforest. So yeah, it just it's not to diminished because I think at this point every you know mature standing forest we've got to think about protecting it right but it it does it did for me really underscore how important it is that that we're protecting these tropical forests yeah yeah they they're really kind of special in that way you know it's easy today to you know buy a product and get in pitch that they're gonna folks are gonna plant a tree and and all that's great but Again, it's like we've got to protect the trees that are already standing first. I mean, that that has to be priority because yeah. of again just the the difference, right? I mean, I think Carrie said that that if you you know you reforest a, a hectare of land, you can count on pulling about you know I think three metric tons of of CO two per year. But having that losing an existing hectare of of tropical forest is is a hundred metric tons. So it just again yeah. it's just a, a, an issue of scale. And not to diminish the whole, hey, we'll plant a tree in your honor or plant a tree sure. for this or that. Like, it's it's definitely in the right direction, but I, we need to be careful to think that that's the only solution, right? That 
right. yes, we need to be doing reforestation, but the, the first thing we need to do is stop the deforestation yeah. that's going on. And so, yeah, they, those existing forests really are invaluable. And, you know, I mean, that got me thinking about, well, you know, what are we doing at a global scale to, to really nip deforestation in the bud? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you did a little bit of reading on that and kind of what's happening right now. Well, you know, what are we doing at a global scale to, to really nip deforestation in the bud? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on. And I think if we go back to COP26, there was 100 countries that pledged to stop deforestation by 2030. And in that 100 countries, there's contains 85% of the world's forests. So obviously, a huge number and a, you know, a lofty goal. Some say it's not quick enough, but I, you know, I think it was probably something they felt was doable. So this time, in comparison to, I think, the agreement in 2014, China and Brazil are on board, which obviously Brazil's huge because that's where a lot of the, you know, critical deforestation is happening. I think, though, since 2014, you know, that pledge, really, that agreement really didn't stop much. And I think that's kind of the fear. Um, you know, obviously, we want Bolsonaro and Brazil to be involved, you know, and to be a leader. But, you know, I don't know if what your take on that is, but I, I worry, <laughs> I have serious worries about that happening, right? Um, the pledge included, you know, like $19.2 billion of investment in public and private funds. And I know that was huge because I think the money wasn't there before in 2014. And that's a huge part of making this happen is that that investment in it really has to be there. So I think that gives double hope that we can actually make some inroads on this this time. Biden also pledged $9 billion at COP26. So, you know, it seems like there's a lot more seriousness about the issue. Yeah, I think it's it's good to, you know, sort of trust but verify. And I, you know, yeah. obviously the international community is going to have to continue to put pressure to make sure that these commitments, you know, have real teeth and follow through. But but yeah, having Brazil on board is, is critical. Right. Also, you know, there's the Forest Act, which I think is a huge deal and kind of putting your money where your mouth is, right? Like if we if we say that we're going to value you know, the climate, and we have to stop supporting. And the other thing, too, is I, I think the, one of the ways reasons this is so huge or would be so huge is that people just don't know, right? Yeah. And, you know, when you pick that thing off the shelf, there's not like some little guy that's telling you, you know, how that was made or what got killed to make that, <laughs> to right. make that happen, right? And so this would kind of eliminate a lot of that guessing game. Yeah. Well, I, I think the Force Act if we can get it passed, would be a really big deal. And, you know, Carrie mentioned it as well. And, you know, I think that's that's really a good segue into, you know, what can we do? And, you know, for this week, we'd like to give folks two options. And if you're feeling really ambitious, do it both. But the first one is, you know, tell your representatives to support the Forest Act that, you know, that we've been talking about here. And, you know, it it would really be transformative, you know, Todd, as you pointed out, because indirectly we are the contributor you know we're driving this deforestation with the products that we consume right and i think there was also some bipartisan support of the forest act as well which is is something that's pretty uncommon these days so you know if you happen to have a you know conservative legislator uh you should you know refer them to this thing because there's some bi bipartisan support out there already so yeah head over to our our website we'll have a link to to an article that talks more about the the Forest Act and and what it's intended to do, 
and we'll have some talking points there for you um, to reach out to your your representative. You know, the second thing that we want to encourage folks to do this this week is to you know consider a donation to the World Wildlife Fund and all the critical work they're doing to conserve forests, restore forests, and, and better manage forests. Because you know, as Kerry pointed out, with the clock ticking, we really need to be doing all those things in parallel. And you know, organizations like WWF are kind of on the front lines of helping lead that work. So consider sending a donation their way. Do it. Any any parting thoughts on, on trees, Todd? I don't, but consider the tree spirits around you. The spirits <laughs> of the trees. No, man, they're, it's, they're very powerful things. Yeah, I mean, that's a good reminder. Hey, if you haven't, you know, had the time, go out and spend some time in the trees. All right, well, before I get too sappy about trees, uh, let's put a wrap on Ooh, it for this week. Ooh, sappy about trees. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's that's a wrap for this week. Thanks for tuning in. Come back next week. We'll be digging into kind of the nexus of, of money and climate. And don't forget to head over to our website, enter our prize drawing for that that virtual home energy audit that'll be performed by none other than our, our own Thomas Mills. Climate Optimus is made possible by Climate Stewards Collective. You can find us on the web at climateoptimus.co. And don't forget to follow us on social at Climate Optimus Podcast.